Oh, I want to ask you a question, though. Hello. Should we mention that you've had a baby, or would you rather not have that? We could mention that. That's fine. Yeah, all right. So, hello, Internet, and welcome to another scintillating tale on Never Stay Dead. I'm Matthew Dergish, and I'm here with my co-host... Damien, Sleepy Reader, 666. Um, all right. <laughs> Last name withheld. <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but I, I'm in the habit of withholding the last name. Probably smart. Uh, we're here today to talk about the Wildstorm classic, Sleeper. Right, which was this the first teaming up of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, who are now beloved by many a comic book fan? Yeah, this is where they found each other and started their careers together and they've been pretty inseparable since and what we've covered essentially is 24 issues season one and season two uh, i don't think they'll ever return to this because it's owned by wildstorm i assume right yeah this was 12 <clears throat> issues um uh, that was two six issue minis and, were they uh, oh i thought they were all a 12 issue series and then another 12 issue series my misunderstanding the way i consumed oh. them which was on a combination of hulu and dc uni the dc universe app was they presented to me as sleeper season one and sleeper season two and each was 12 issues and yes you, you are you right you have four six issue paperbacks right you so you at. think i'd be able to tell that right out the gate and i just miscounted so well you had six in your head because you read them in chunks of six and i read them Honest, chunks of 12. honestly i read four trades and uh <laughs> was I, I was looking at something that said 12 issues and i just took it for granted i didn't think about it so yeah all right two two seasons and a whole pile of issues and a whole lot of confusion and what made it even more confusing for me were these were a lot of smaller players in other books uh at some wildstorm stuff i've read and haven't read which right. made this a uh muddled read right the mastermind behind all of this was lynch i forget his first name now john lynch and um yes john lynch and i know that i'm i've seen him in some other wildstorm books and grifter of course i am vaguely familiar with and actually i've read more grifter in the new 52 i think <laughs> from dc than in the original wildstorm but i certainly remember seeing grifter around and I bring up Grifter because um, in my edition of Sleeper Book One, they include uh, five or six issues from another miniseries called um, uh, Point Blank, which is stolen from a famous film noir kind of movie, I think, or an action film, 70s action cop flick, I think. Anyway, there was a series called Point Blank that actually involved all these characters already. So I think at some point I need to sort of say what I read there. Plunging with that point blank stuff. I, you know, pun, starting with the point blank stuff, I think makes sense. Just before that, I, I just do want to say, um, when I was reading through, like I said, I didn't realize at first this actually tied into everything, which made this a bit more muddled. Mm -hmm. With a bit of revisiting and looking into it after the fact, realizing that this really played in between the margins of a lot of Wildstorm stuff I read, and right. it's just a, 
it's a hard read because it assumes you know a lot more than you know. In particular, there was points out of this point blank that it assumed you knew that I certainly didn't. And talking to you a bit about it beforehand made me realize there's some stuff that I thought was part of the mystery that you're really already supposed to know. Huh. Well, I guess it gets played both ways since a lot of people now read this separate, right? These are these are in print while um, probably a lot of the other material they die into might not be. That's true. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm not, I was not able to know what, what I should have known before if I was a hardcore Wildstorm reader or not. But I'm guessing that we ha are having all this presented to us in a new way. So I think overall, the first thing we can say about all of this is it's done in an extreme film noir, shadowy nighttime bars and alleyways kind of mode. We pretty much never leave that world of, of uh, just sort of the underbelly of the city kind of feel. Right. It's all dark ops and shady bars and back alleys. You're right. And I that's kind of a thing that uh, this creative team has continued to be known for afterwards. A lot of what they do plays on film noir and um, the underbelly of society, especially their criminal series. But Yeah, in different ways, though, and I think the comparisons are interesting. We'll get into it a little more. I feel yeah. like they got better as they went. I, I totally agree. <laughs> But to me, this was fascinating because I am very familiar with what they're doing now. And to see what they were doing, when was this? 20 years ago, roughly. Um, yeah. Is interesting. But so, well, let's. It really is all about circular plots, which is perhaps another reason why we're stumbling over this a little bit. You don't so much get. To point A is point B as you keep returning to where you started, <laughs> at least till the very end where you end up in a somewhat different situation that still is kind of uh, like the snake eating its own tail kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but our, our major players are this guy named Holden Carver, who's the sleeper agent, who's gone into the um, organization of the criminal mastermind Tao, who was once a superhero. And I don't know if some people would have known that sooner than I did. Perhaps that's the kind of... Depending how involved you were with Wildstorm, right. he seemed to have more of a play in uh, Gen 13. Right. And I don't know if he's been used as a villain before or was just a superhero who disappeared and now suddenly we're having him as sort of the major crypto villain of the world, in a sense, the hidden villain of the world. But um, so we got Holden Carver... Uh, going in as a sleeper agent sent in by the mastermind, I guess, of what's it called? Something ops. Um, right. International ops, international operations, IO, they normally just call it. So uh, John Lynch controls IO and has sent and manipulated Holden Carver into the position of being a sleeper. And it's really, in a way, a, a three way story with those three people with Holden Carver bouncing back and forth between the two. But then we have this prequel, or not really a prequel, it was literally came first, uh, this story point blank, which was all from the point of Grifter, who finds that um, 
his buddy, John Lynch, the manipulator from IO, uh, has been shot, nearly killed, and is in a coma. And he tries to solve the mystery of who shot him. And in doing so, he slowly encounters Tao and Holden Carver, who's working for Tao. Uh, there's a point at which Holden Carver's supposed to kill Grifter, and instead he fakes Grifter escaping and has Grifter shoot him. And at that point, I don't think Ed Brubaker knew that Carver couldn't feel pain because there's discussion about how he will feel pain there. So I don't think he made up Carver's powers unless Carver comes from elsewhere in Wildstorm and already has. He does. Okay. Well, there was some sloppiness in the writing there. So. Well, it may have not been the case yet. So just, I'm spoiling point blank for you. Um, all, we're going to have to spoil all of this to discuss it. The, as much yeah. as it's worth considering spoiling, but well, yeah. So the the only real appearance in in this story, point blank, of Holden Carver, is when he lets Grifter go, and then Grifter eventually finds out that Tao uh, hypnotized Grifter to kill John Lynch. So he was his own. He is the criminal that he is searching for. He's the killer, or the would be killer that he's searching for. And then he confronts Tao, and Tao hypnotizes him again. They don't call it hypnotism. They have some fancier description of how he gets into your mind and turns your emotions in on themselves. But yeah, it's a bit more sci-fi, right? It's right. not quite the... But yeah. that doesn't seem like enough because he literally wipes Grifter's memories. And Grifter is the only one, because Lynch is in a coma... Grifter was the only one now who knew that Holden Carver was not really a villain, but was a sleeper agent. And when Tao, who does not know Grifter, knows this, but Tao erases all his memories of his investigation. So Grifter doesn't remember what he learned about Holden Carver either. So we end with the knowledge that this Holden Carver character, who was only a minor character in Point Blank, is permanently trapped. And at the very end of Point Blank, Grifter is about to begin his investigation again because he doesn't remember his solution to the investigation before. Right, which, woof. So I, in the spirit of Sleeper, want to start with the last thing I read in Sleeper, okay. which was the afterword by Brubaker. Okay, I don't think I got that afterward because I was reading it. I was reading the second season of Sleeper as individual issues, so to speak. Right. So what does uh, he say in his afterward? Basically in his afterward, he says, you know, I never thought this was really going to happen. And so he did point blank and that, you know, did all right. And then he pitched and he got to do sleeper, uh, which he wasn't planning on. So he kind of had to make up ground when he did that spinning out. And then the second season wasn't supposed to happen, but because sleeper was such a sleeper hit, it, <laughs> really um caught him off guard so what he decided to do and we haven't talked about her yet but was to focus on the relationship between conductor or um holden is holden called conductor i never even picked that up i think it's mentioned once at the beginning and he doesn't Uh, take to the superhero grandeur so it kind of gets cut off but he has this relationship with miss misery uh that gets explored and so explored even more yes and that's uh what he wanted to focus on so what what season one of sleeper focuses on is the fact that holden carver or conductor 
realizes he's trapped in the role of a supervillain because no one on the good guy side now knows he's a good guy. So if he tried to get out of it, I guess he would just be killed as a bad guy. Right. Like he can't be brought in from the cold, brought back into the warmth of the agency. It's all about kind of his attempts to survive while hoping something good will happen, I guess. And then when he he kind of finally gives up at the end of season one is when and and kind of gets convinced by Tao, who realizes he was a sleeper agent, he gets convinced by Tao to now really join Tao. And right after that happens, that's when John Lynch, John Lynch, the one person who could have saved him, comes out of his coma. And and that's the end of Sleeper Season 1. So that's how they originally meant to end it. Right. And all of this just circles around the idea of him being a sleeper agent and going on these missions that would go against what I guess his values would actually be, though it seems like he doesn't really have any values and it's just right. about the mission. And I saw somewhere to review that they were saying that Holden pushes the idea of what a hero is supposed to be and whatnot, which I found odd because he never hits me as a hero. He never hits me as anyone with any real morals or limits. It's well, they just kind a, of keep yeah. throwing out the idea, they meaning Ed Brubaker keeps throwing mm-hmm. out the idea that Holden, while he feels bitter about it, has decided and he's been doing this even before he joined became a sleeper agent doing immoral acts for the ultimate good that supposedly is represented by the organization he works for is somehow worth it but there's always a hint that he's just kind of addicted to this lifestyle too or something like that right like it's hard to really put ever put your finger on it like he's gone too far and he can't come back or something. I, it, it's always a little muddy to me. And that's the thing is ultimately the series, we were talking about all these machinations of the plot as they go through and the being the sleeper of the Egypt. But the truth is, it seems like it ultimately doesn't matter. And they're trying to explore right. Holden. But there's not much depth there. He just seems kind of broken. There's no redeeming qualities, really. He's just doing what he's doing. And because he doesn't really have connection, like there are a few connections to his old mm-hmm. life, his ex-wife, a couple friends, but that's it. Yeah, they don't present much of a life that he could go back to. Although that's also supposed to be his tragedy that in becoming this sleeper agent, he had to destroy what life he did have, which was, I think he was engaged rather than married. I'm not sure. Right. But, he, but yeah. so he had to convince the woman he loved that he was actually a villain and she was an agent of IO supposedly one of the good guys um so he had to convince her along with everyone else of his evilness um and then later I don't can't even remember if it was season one or season two we have several times where he get he has the opportunity to have her redeem him in a sense and then he keeps rejecting her anyway I guess in the noble sense, I've become too, I don't deserve you anymore. I've become slime or something like that. Right. Um, so he basically just hates himself and he's willing to wallow in it. Right. I, and, yeah. and his lover is this person, this uh, one of the top criminals named Miss Misery, who gets becomes sick if she does good things. And the more bad things she does from smoking to beating people up to betraying them, the more powerful she becomes. So she becomes this odd character where 
it's one of those weird superpower ideas where she has to be so bad that like in order for her to be in a relationship she can't be and he understands that right. so she's constantly out with other people trying to hurt him yeah <laughs> there's a weird psychology to all of this that some there's somehow something romantic about being awful there's right there's supposed to be a romance of negativity here um the the abused abrasive woman who abuses you and and you in some sense abuse her and, and your cycle of abuse has somehow got a romantic tinge to it well because he feels bad about himself so by her making him feel bad he feels like he deserves it so it works for him I, it's, right and it's at this... times she loves him and then she starts getting sick yeah so it's really i think you know aspects of this that i like it's just the um execution was tedious <laughs> Right. There was a whole play where, because she's working for um, Tao, that he kind of reveals that he's a sleeper agent. They all kind of, like, it's this open secret, but he's planning with her to, like, get his comeuppance and kind of pull himself out of being a sleeper agent by doing the right thing, ultimately. And then she ultimately betrays him. And it's supposed to be, the, they play it like it's supposed to be the shocker. I'm like, right. of course she Betrayed well, but there was a nothing. betrayal within a betrayal within a betrayal because she faked a betrayal against him, which was really all part of their plan to betray both Tao and Lynch. And then at the last, so they, or, or appeared to betray him, but that was part of their plan. They betray Tao and they betray Lynch. And then she betrays him again. And along comes his ex-fiancee who shoots her just before she's about to kill uh, Holden Carver. We're probably confusing our listeners, but just as she's about to kill Holden Carver, I'm now giving away the real end, or very close to the end of the story. Um, yeah. And then he just instinctively, apparently, without before seeing who she is, kills the fiance or the ex-fiance who just saved him. Although one senses it's because he, despite all the betrayals, had such a romantic feeling about um, Miss Misery that he wanted to kill anyone who killed her, even as she was about to kill him. And he killed the only other woman who ever loved him. <laughs> right, which, I I don't know. I, I must have tuned out or something, because I just, I, I lost the thread at some point, <laughs> to be honest. And I, I think that was my problem with this book. By the time they got to any meat on the bones for anything beyond the relationships between people, uh, it felt somewhat right. insignificant. And it was part of this larger bit of Wildstorm, which I was just learning was actually where the book was the whole time. And I didn't know. And it just. But the whole point of all of these, as more clearly illustrated by point, point blank one, is to do a mind fuck, is to take you around in all these loops. And it's this, it's that. No, it's not. It's you're back to the beginning or you're back to the, a situation that stinks no matter how hard you try to make things better. And no matter, there's no redemption, there's only getting, things are only getting worse. It's like the ultimate entropy of the soul or something. I suppose. Right. Um, and so, I don't know, we, we dance around a lot of seedy characters and situations, and it just ultimately feels off because we have this relationship with Miss Misery. We have everyone at these bars. Um, Holden isn't willing to talk about his superhero name and uh, doesn't really want to deal with anyone the whole thing to me felt like um what you think is cool when you're 16 or something <laughs> like 
it's a bunch of quote-unquote mature themes done in the most right. immature like most edgy kind of way and ultimately wasn't that substantive or interesting because with nobody having redeeming qualities or anything it ultimately just feels like the best thing that could have been done was for them all to be blown up in their own you know saddle of misery and to just move on <laughs> well maybe you're too healthy psychologically for this book but um at some point you kind of gave me an out as we were starting to read this like okay we could just dump this and do something else but i was like no i want to keep reading so for me there was something about this that even though it never attained a high quality a high level it was somehow fascinating i i like the idea of this moral this loop of moral turpitude and um these sort of layers of deception and everything like that i feel like there's potentially good stuff in all of this i also i guess I don't, maybe i can't credit brubaker for it but i liked the powers like the we haven't said our main guy holden carver some alien artifact has attached itself to his nervous system and he can't feel pain no matter what Although it seems like he feels psychological pain, but he often says he can't feel that either. Right, physical pain he can't. He definitely can't feel physical pain, but if he gets shot or beaten, he can take the pain that he didn't feel and touch someone and put that pain onto them. And I thought that was a really cool power. He's like Bishop, but with pain. <clears throat> and that, uh, and Ms. Misery was kind of a cool explanation for a villain. Yeah, the, the fact that she in the end didn't want to get rid of her power, she wanted to be what she was, right? Was kind of also that that circle of corruption that you can't get out of, even when you have a chance to get out, you can no longer get out. Which again is kind of it's kind of a sixteen year old idea of romance too, right? And I want to back up real know. quick. Yeah, for ahead. those who don't know, turpitude means <clears throat> depravity or wickedness. Formal <laughs> noun. Uh, that was a new one on me, so there you go. Sorry about that. Oh, no, it's good. New I was just commenting good. to my daughter that maybe I have too big of a vocabulary and it actually keeps me from communicating with people. I've had that pointed out to me at the same time, so it's all good. We New words are good. Uh, I Yeah, I, I found it fascinating that you dug this book because normally this is the sort of thing that I gravitate more to and well, you I, kind of slide I, off of. I had a love-hate relationship with it. Well, that sounds and about I th right. I think knowing, knowing where how much I like what these people did later on, made this fascinating because I feel like they were exploring a lot of the stuff they later explored much better, and I had this sense, you know, this whole talking about a plot that goes around in a circle. I feel like they keep circling similar themes and plots until they finally start getting them right. And in my reading, I've been reading more Criminal because I only I came to Criminal kind of late. So mm -hmm. I've been reading some of the stuff I missed and I don't, the earlier criminal isn't as good as the later criminal. It seems to me, although I haven't read, I still haven't read it all. I'd love to do a uh, podcast on that. But my impression yeah. is that a lot of these themes are re-explored in different ways. There's, there's one that I think the second volume of criminal, a guy goes undercover in his uh, brother's old gang and ends up in kind of a sadistic sexual relationship with his brother's old lover. Right. And there's a lot of similarities there to, to Sleeper. But the, the, the arrow of the plot keeps moving forward. 
Right. Well, I think the complication of the whole Wildstorm thing is a weakness for this book. I feel uh, like the need for superheroes kind of makes it a weakness, too, because you could tell they just want to have their trench coats and guns and liquor. They don't really want uh, all this other stuff. And I feel as if, yeah, sleepers ultimately held back and they got to do more what they wanted to do later in Criminal. Also, they worked on a they also worked on a book called Incognito that was or at least Brubaker did. Um, no, they both did, I think. Yeah, yeah. That was noir superhero stuff that I think yeah. was a stronger entry overall. But I wouldn't say it's... I don't feel they were held back by Wildstorm. I mean, they might have been. Oh. But my feeling as a reader is they were held back by their own inability at this stage in their career to do what, what they were striving to do. They were trying... They're reaching for this kind of story. I mean, even like what's that story about that they did recently about Hollywood that ends up in kind of a circle where nothing gets resolved at the end. Um, the crime gets solved, but, um, they've done so many. It's kind of crazy. And I want to clarify because I think I could easily see what I said being somewhat misinterpreted. I don't mean like an editorial mandate or normally when we talk about comics like that, I just feel like they're trying to do so much and they had to kind of fit it in this sandbox that already existed and they're trying to do their own thing with these characters. And it just were too many layers for a book that I was already trying to be overly complicated. And so by being able to maybe step away from that, have a book where you just have humans uh, doing their own messed up things, allowed, the, allowed their ideas and art to sing in a way that worked a lot better. It's kind of funny to me seeing it now, like this partnership came out of this book that's kind of a hot mess. But it was popular at the time, apparently. Yeah. I mean, because it kind of feels, to me, my conclusion is they were very lucky to get to practice while being paid. To war- This was like a warm-up for the good work they were eventually going to do. Right. Like, even the artwork, you know, I, I love Sean Phillips' artwork, but it's not nearly as good here as it was later. And I often found it hard to tell the difference between one character and another if they weren't properly tagged, like... That guy Lynch looked different all the time. You had to see the scars on one side of his face to be sure it was him sometimes. And even the hero Holden Carver sometimes didn't look, was hard to pick out <laughs> from a crowd. Right. Times. And while there were some And all actions. women look alike. <laughs> his fiance and his evil girlfriend both kind of looked the same. When they were fighting, I couldn't make heads or tails of that scene because they looked the same. Yeah. So uh, the artist has really refined his uh, technique and he's added a lot more. Like he uses the, a similar layout over and over and over again in Sleeper, which he's moved on from that. And he's, he's simplified in a way things and made them more innovative in another way. Okay, uh, we're being interrupted for a moment, sorry. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Guys, keep it down. I'm trying to talk here. My name is George Hant. I was one of the hosts of the George and Tony Entertainment Show, a podcast you've probably never heard of. I have a new project scheduled to start this spring, and I hope you'll give it a listen. More importantly, though, I, along with my co-hosts, will be participating in live stream for the cure this year. We hope you'll help fight cancer by listening to this podcasting telethon hosted by the Epic Film Guys, May 17th through the 19th, 2019, and contributing to the cause. For more information, check out livestreamforthecure.com. This promo is under construction, so keep your ears open for updates on my new project. And oh yeah, f***ing cancer!
think I was babbling on something about the artwork. You were talking about Philip's art. Yeah, so like his art has become, it's, you can see it's the same artist, but it's become refined and refined over and over again from doing these kind of noir stories, I think. And I think the same with, with uh, Brubaker's technique, because I feel like in all of his books involve a lot of uh, these captions that sort of tell you what the person's thinking or some kind of narration that's very close to the, close to the character. And then, um, and then them kind of wandering around as they're thinking about things through like um, in Killer Be Killed, a lot of scenes of him wandering the streets of New York between the action scenes or the emotional relationship scenes. But here there's just way too much. Did you get that sense of people just wandering around the city all the time? Yeah. That's... Yeah. There's a lot of just kind of wanderlust and uh, depravity more so than the intricate web. And there was even more of that in the earlier point blank. I mean, literally five issues of Grifter just wandering from bar to bar. It seemed like. <laughs> that's goofy. But, um, but that's like the film noir thing, right? You're wandering around looking for clues by, by going to shady nightclubs or something. Yeah, I guess. Uh... <laughs> and well, and what did you think of the very end where there's an alien who has been held by IO, by the good guys, for whatever reasons they're holding him. But one of the things the alien can do is supposedly remove the alien technology from Carver's body. Mm-hmm. Although they imply that, that that's actually a lie they said to Carver. But then the alien goes ahead and tries to remove it to, from him, and he's left in a coma where he's in a fantasy world, which I don't know if they gave that to him as like a gift. Right. And I guess I think that's maybe the weakest part of the storytelling overall in this book is there's so much subterfuge and so much kind of twisting that by the time things ultimately happen or seem to happen, the intense or reasoning behind it feel kind of lost. Yeah. And I feel like that's why some of their later work works better when you're when it's at least vaguely more grounded, even if you're dealing with Cthulhu cults or mm-hmm. some mysticism, is that the rules get to be set with all these crazy superpowers that go from like you know, people's intentions with mis misery of doing the bad thing, which is somewhat subjective right. regardless, or like being a battery for pain like the alien that allows this ability or not whether or not he can take it or not is that intended is it not does it matter and by the time you're done with it it's like well that's where we ended so what does it mean i don't know but in 24 issues i felt like i should learn more about these things (laughs) we spent a lot of time on it I want to, you know, it was interesting tantalizing bits about the character Tao, who, whose motivation just seems to be revenge on the entire world. He just wants to bring everything down, supposedly to maybe make things better, and because he sees the corruptness of everything. All that would be interesting to follow up on, but they don't really. They just rip out Tao's tongue at the end. And... Uh, yeah leave him supposedly powerless if his powers really come from his tongue 
I, that was another thing that grabbed me. Um, Tao is, as far as I could tell, just another white guy. Holden's a white guy. Miss Misery's a white guy. Her, the my, my point being is, for all the talk of diversity and whatnot, here's a book where you have a guy named Tao who's not Asian by any means, right. and it's supposed to be this globe-trotting adventure. There's all this well, stuff. And... Might, Tao might be Asian. It's hard to tell the way they've drawn him. All right, well... Fair enough. But I, was he Asian? What what was he in the original Wildstorm stories that he appeared in? I don't know. I, I remember reading him a bit in Wildcats, and I just can't remember to place it. Um, But, like, I, I don't know. It just felt like we're dealing with all these characters. It's just a bunch of, just a bunch of white people thinking about it with, you know, things need to have more diversity now. This felt like a book that definitely could have used it like having some perspective would have helped it i think it could have however it's not surprising that 20 years ago no one was thinking about that you would just put in the occasional uh slightly ethnic character off to the side somewhere and that people used to feel that was them doing their due diligence (laughs) i guess and it's all based on whatever already was in the uh, the Wildstorm universe. I think Tao might supposed. To, I mean, Tao is a a person created in a laboratory, but oh, in, well. the, in the vagueness of of uh, I'm searching for pictures of him. But there are moments where I wondered if he was supposed to be like a mix of races. I guess test two babies don't get a lot of representations. There you go. Anyway, I don't think that anyone was thinking about representation when they were doing this. Fair enough. Not that any of these characters would be a positive role model for anyone anyways. I mean, everyone was blown away that there was one gay person in the Wildstorm universe, right? That was... That was there was two, because they that were a couple. It. Oh, that's true. There was two. Duh. I always forget about... Apollo. Apollo. I always think about Midnighter. Well, he was the cool one. Yeah, so Batman. there were two gay people, and that was like a big deal. There's other gay characters in Wildstorm overall, but uh, maybe not memorable ones. As I flip around, there, like another thing he just tosses in here is this group of rich, rich beyond rich people who control the world. Who yeah, Illuminati situation. Them, yeah, and they're just a bunch of really rich people whose families for thousands and thousands of years have somehow controlled the world. They never show how, and that group is multinational. And one of the main characters that we deal with there is the, what do they call it? The queen of Egypt or something like that. That's true. And Hey, they just pay to have their kids going to college and it's all good. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe someday you'll be rich enough to to bribe your son's way into college. Yeah. Here can hope. (laughs) I'm looking at this picture of Tao. He could be Asian, but it, it really doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could be, could not be. That's a... He's a blank. He's a cipher, really. That's an interesting point. People who are more uh, subtly ethnic, I guess. That's not a good way to phrase it. Um, you know, with comics, it'd be hard to tell. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um <laughs> maybe this isn't the area to dwell on i just is something that hit me while reading this book yeah I, I guess i just i just don't even think about that kind of thing mostly when i'm reading any older 
comic or seeing an older movie, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess there was a point in the 90s where they started having the Black Buddy or something. Um, I mean, there were some books that were doing better, but it's give or take for sure. I don't know. Um, but you're right. I mean, their their image, it it looks like the typical mafia movie or something in a way. Although they're not portrayed as Italian and they aren't. But I mean, just a bunch of white guys in leather jackets and suits, rumpled suits wandering about. Right, right. I, it kind of tickled my fancy, twisting the world of superheroes into the world of gangsters and espionage that's kind of fun and i don't know how much of that comes out of wildstorm and how much brubaker forced it into that but i I, thought that was kind of a neat way you know to take superpowers superpowered people as just like these people who exist outside of the law the way both spies do and criminals do I think that's true, but I was, I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember the exact year, but I feel like around this time you had someone like that Bendis stuff coming up. You had Brew Baker doing this. I feel like that was something that was kind of popping off and kind of a movement at the true. time. With Well, Bendis definitely brought that. Yeah. With Powers. I don't, when did Powers come out? Probably a few years before this, I'm guessing. Can't remember. And I was thinking more Alias, which might have been a little bit after. Oh, but, Alias yeah. might have been old. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. That was kind of a thing at the time. Yeah, not too far along. You have the hood with Parker and all that. Like, we were getting into that, I don't know, post-80s grit, which needed to have a different layer to it because people are getting sick of Watchmen or the (laughs) Watchmen influence. Well, and this is so different than the 90s, even though it comes very shortly after the 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. The 90s superhero. So that may have been part of why it got attention is taking this world that, you know, a few years before had been just giant punches and double page spreads and suddenly making it into lots of small shadowy panels with people who don't know their what their moral compass is at all. So it might have had a certain kind of novelty at the time that it doesn't to us at the moment. Well, and what's interesting about that was this was novel at the time. And this book, I mean, not solo, but helped kick off kind of a new era of books. I mean, what Brubaker and Phillips have done going forward and many other books. And I think it's actually maybe a testament to a lot of the stuff that's come since that this is better, or I mean that what's come later has been better and that this, you can see the seeds of what it was doing, but there's a lot of growth to be made and so many, I, I think you could point to so many image books that, you yeah. know, kind of could take some, took some pages from this. And right. I just, it kind of makes me happy that mm-hmm. there's some, a lot of room to grow in a lot of ways. Cause we got yeah. so much from it. Whereas if this was such a definitive work kind of right out the gate, right. it might've been more singular and we wouldn't have gotten as much. Right. Or it might've been like, what you experience after reading Watchmen where everything else, not everything else, but a lot, you can see a lot of other writers trying to do the same thing, but not doing it as well. Instead, we get to see this same thing become better, as you're saying. In a way, it's a better long-term deal for us than you know one singular standout masterpiece that nothing else, everything else flounders trying to touch. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> We've turned it into a positive. Yeah. 
man, that's such a good ending point. I don't. Did, was there anything else in this book you wanted to uh, hit on? It, it it makes me enjoy their their later work more in a weird way, but also see them as more human. See that they had to really work their way up to their best work. Yeah. That's the kind of inspiring. You can do a lot of so-so versions of things if you keep trying you'll get better there is something endearing to that right like the first volumes of the books i'm thinking of are like strangers in paradise or cerebus or the early ninja turtles or stuff like that you know the self-published stuff so early yeah the growing pains or like cerebus particularly stands out as you know a few years after he began he was in such a different place and right. then I mean, I don't want to follow him all the, way, all the way to the end, I guess, but up to a point, it was an amaz amazing metamorphosis and growth well, by doing. Well, and in Cerebus, you can watch that art grow issue by mm -hmm. issue until you get to right. about the third volume where he kind of lands on a style and carries that That's forward. Yeah. yeah. And those volumes are uh, phone books, not volumes the way we think about right. it. So. Right. We're talking, we're talking 75 issues or a hundred issues before he lands on that style. Excuse me. Is it that far? I don't know about that, but close. Sorry, I was just looking at him like, there's a lot of volumes. There's only 300 issues, but yeah. Only, only 300 issues. <laughs> so I should apologize to anyone in our audience who was actually paying attention or cares that we said our next uh, show was going to be on the spirit. Mm. But I think I I think I have a bit of a block on doing a show on the spirit. A block? Like I'm a little uneasy about doing it. <laughs> Why? Diving in at the two of us analyzing it. Um, so part of me wants to find just the right stories for us to talk about. Okay. Which is easier said than done. But also, like... Um, if you find a lot of flaws with the spirit and you may well and and i agree with you i'll be kind of sad i like having my delusion of greatness of my memories of the spirit i i've been reading some i haven't finished that one magazine that i pointed out we both had you said you wanted me to read some more so i right. i wasn't do you feel like you'd be willing to read some more at this point or do you oh, feel yeah like yeah yeah kind of had enough i mean yeah. we could just discuss that magazine it, it's not an unreasonable we can sure, if you want to but... if you want to dig in on something else my thing is is like i'm reading it but i feel like i almost do want to read more because it feels like i'm only getting a moment of time and if we're going right. to talk about the spirit i feel like i need a little bit more breath yeah. and it reads so different than anything i've read before that mm -hmm. it, it might be good for me to get a little bit more because yeah yeah it's uh it's not the way comics are done now no 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 but um I don't. I personally see a lot of its influences, despite that. Maybe not narratively so much as artistically. But... I'm seeing a lack of its influence anymore, which is actually something huh. I want to talk about. Huh. Um, there, there's a number of aspects that I've been pouring into and seeing Will Eisner doing what he does versus kind of the way comics are now. <sighs> yeah, I, there, there's some things to talk about where I think. Um, comics could do well to reach back well i agree there and there's a whole bunch of you know actually that circles in with some thoughts i've had in general about the spirit and our discussion on conan and some other things and some silver age comics that i read 
that make me think how the whole approach to serialized characters has shifted. Um, yeah. And in it, some ways perhaps hurt them. Um, I think <clears throat> it's dramatically for the worse overall. The more I read of some of the older stuff, the more I look at some modern comics and it feels thin. Yeah. But there's also, you know, every there's counters to both. I mean, sure, sure. Stuff. I wouldn't want to let go of everything. I wouldn't want to go back to 1965 or something. I don't want to go back to 1965, but I want there to be a book that tries to. Uh, Savage Dragon? <laughs> uh, Savage Dragon is not that book. That book is <clears throat> reaching all the way back to 1992 is my best guesstimate. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, I guess that's a teaser for a future conversation. I want to say congratulations to Matt for becoming a father. Oh, thank um, you. There's a new superpower for you. And uh, and you're looking uh, very uh, alert and on top of things. So I guess despite I thought at first fatherhood would mean the end of podcasting, but I guess not. So that's good news. Yeah, got to dial it in. How old is your son now? A uh, month, yeah. <laughs> not quite reading Conan yet. <laughs> so another reason not to stay dead because you have a son to support and a right. wife to uh, keep sane. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great conversation. We'll um, we'll be back soon. I hope.